it's not a good reflection on what I consider myself an expert in. So you've got to practice what you preach, I think. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So there are three areas that came up in Panavidra that, that really sort of opened my eyes. Well, that was incredibly self-defeating. And I know a lot of triathletes who think that sort of thing, especially if they're not swimmers. That's how you're going to know what works for you, whether it's long and strong or whether it's just push, push, push. That's when you'll start to get a, a handle on it. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My name's Brenton Ford. I'm a swim coach based in Australia. And I work with swimmers all around the world to improve their technique and to make them better swimmers and ultimately live a better life. On today's episode, we have Dr. Jim Taylor, who is a psychologist specializing in sports and performance. And Dr. Jim Taylor has been on our podcast multiple times. And every time I get him on, I get texts, I get messages from people saying that was really helpful. So I want to get him back on to talk about a few more topics related to mindset and performance and psychology. And he's recently returned from the world champs in Spain. And I asked him about his experience there and what sort of tactics and strategies did he use personally with all the experience that he's got. So he talks about what he did and what he learned from those races. And some of the topics we discussed today include changing your intensity depending on the distance and the event that you're doing, what to focus on, when to focus on it, and how you may need to change your focus depending on what race you're doing as well, and the mindset that's required to help you be successful in training, and then how you can carry that into your races. And the final thing we discuss is being 100% honest with where you're at, and how a reality check can be a little painful at the start, but if you really wanna get better, and you really wanna improve, that 100% honest, assessment of where you're currently at can be the best thing going forwards, especially into 2024 and how you can make that your best year yet. And I tell two stories about where I didn't want to face reality initially, but when I did, it actually turned my swimming around and has helped me take that next step with it. Before we get into the podcast, I've got two things to ask you. One is if you haven't left us a review or a star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this podcast, I would love it if you do. That would be the main thing. It would help me out immensely because the more people that see this that has good ratings, then the more people that will listen to it. And if you know anyone that is looking to improve psychologically with their racing, please share it with them. Thanks so much. Let's get into the episode with Dr. Jim Taylor. Jim, you've been a guest on this podcast multiple times. I'd say you're, a, you're an expert in the psychology of sports and, and performance. And that's why I've had a lot of people reply after hearing your podcast saying that was a great episode. I got a lot out of it because I think the mental side of things is a large part of the equation when it comes to success in swimming or triathlon or life or parenting, so many, so many areas of, of life. So welcome back, first of all, and you've just returned from Spain. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, first of all, great to see you again, Brenton. I really enjoyed your recent show on Lucy Charles Barkley and what makes her so good. Really fascinating. Anyway, so yeah, I came back, I don't know, maybe a month ago from Ponte Vedra, Spain. It was the world super sprint and Olympic distance age group and professional world championships. So that was a great challenge and a lot of great lessons learned there that I'm going to share with you today. And it's sort of interesting because I always have to meld my athletic life with my professional life. And, 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 I, and I use my professional life to make me a better athlete, but it's, it's always a fun give and take because, you know, I, I learned a lot of stuff in, in graduate school and getting my PhD and working on that side, but there's nothing like being in the thick of it. And, you know, being in the water, being on the bike, being on the run, 
and then dealing with all those challenges. So I, one thing that I was, I have a column in my blog, a section of my blog called I practice what I preach, because that's one of the pressures of being doing what I do that I can't like freak out or anything, but, but it's all fun. Sure. You and you had some really good results there in Spain, a number of podiums. I think you said it was your your best result yet at a world championships. Actually, it was it was sort of even. It was my third podium in in a row. Two th- I've had three thirds so far, going back to Abu Dhabi in last November, and then Hamburg, Germany in in July, and then Ponte Vedra earlier this fall. So I'm consistent. I'm third. I thought the possibility of a world championship was was there. But you never know who's going to show up. And this this one Frenchman showed up who is just a ripper. And there was like no chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. Well, uh, I'd love to get stuck into some of those things that you had to work on yourself. And I mean, I find the same thing coaching. When I'm in the in the water training consistently, I come up with new ideas. I can yep. test out some things that I've been been using. And if I if I swim and it's it's slow and I'm back of the pack and it it's not a good reflection on what I'd consider myself an expert in. So you, you've got to practice what you preach, I think. Indeed, indeed, yeah. So there were three areas that came up in Ponte Vedra that, that really sort of opened my eyes. And they, they were my physical intensity before the race, my focus, and then my mindset. And so if you want, I can, I can jump into each of those and we can talk about each one. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so when I talk about physical intensity, think you can think of this range from really relaxed, like sleep, to unbelievably tense, like sheer terror. And somewhere between sleep and sheer terror, you swim your best. And so depending upon the event and the distance and also just your personality, you'll see some swimmers are super chill, some kind of medium fired up, and others are like bouncing off the wall, really super intense. And you can probably come up with better examples from the swimming circuit than I can. And then, but it also interacts with the, with the distance. So as a general rule, and this is part of my the lesson I learned in Ponte Vedra was that the, the shorter the distance, the higher the intensity. And as, as the, the distance gets longer, lower intensity, because obviously high intensity, you're burning fuel. And so if you're swimming 2.4 miles before the, at the start of an Ironman, you can't be burning fuel. And so I, I've been thinking about this since Hamburg, the world championships there, which were the, the sprint and the mixed relay and, and playing with different levels of intensity in the pool. And then when I was doing open water as well. And what I came to realize was that I wasn't getting fired up enough for the super sprint, which is my better event. And it's, it's about 400 meters and it's basically full gas, entry to exit. And so what I, what I started, and so I got this from my coach and was that it's really important to, for the shorter sprints where you're going full gas from the beginning, you can't settle in, is to make sure that your body's ready for it. Because if it goes, if, if you go out and your body's too relaxed, then your body's like a shock. It's like, oh my gosh, I need to get going. And then you go into hypoxia. And I actually heard this too when Lionel Sanders did Super League in London last fall. And he was he was practicing and he said, same thing for him. Like usually in a half Ironman or an Ironman, he would be working himself into the swim and into the bike and into the run. Whereas his, this, he just wasn't ready for it. Mm. And so what I began doing as I lined up with my group for the H group was just constantly moving, jumping up and down, doing pushups, breathing intensely. And it's interesting to observe everybody else. Literally, everybody else was just standing around and either chatting or, or standing quietly. And that's what I used to do, do. So I'm not judging them. But but what I noticed was that when I, as soon as I hit the water, my body was ready to go. And I could go really, really high intensity. And so that was a really big lesson for me. And then for the Olympic distance, obviously a bit of a longer swim, you know, twice, two, little two and a half times longer. I was still active because I wanted, I wanted my body to be able to go at, the, at that pace. But so I was active, but not quite as active. 
So for me, especially before swim, where very often, at least at the world level, we don't have the opportunity to warm up in the water. So so you can't you can't get ready in that you know five minutes of swimming back and forth next to the start and then climb out and then get get the starter. And so it's really important to get your body going. So being super active um, to get that intensity up, especially shorter races, but even the longer ones, being active, getting your body prepared, because even with an Ironman, you still have to go out pretty hard to get it going. Mm. That it, Now that you say it, it makes a lot of sense. And I haven't really heard that before, talked about that way. But reflecting on my own experience, reflecting on if you look at the 50 sprinters, they're yeah. generally like the, you know, they're the big boys, they're the big girls who are generally quite, you know, they, they get fired up and there's a lot of, in the men's race, a lot of testosterone flying. And then if you compare that to the 1500 in the pool, those, those guys, those girls, they're a lot more relaxed behind the, the starting box because you have to be, you just can't, you've got to work your, work your way into it. So, it's, so that's interesting and, and something I've never sort of considered before. Well, that's why I'm here, Brendan, giving you some new exactly. ideas. <laughs> and so, so I really encourage swimmers and triathletes to experiment a little bit. Because I talk about that continuum from sleep to sheer terror. There's no one level. It's very personal. And so it's a matter of experimenting. And I find, and this is interesting because this goes way back to when I was an alpine ski racer back in the day when I was a kid. Same thing there. I didn't get fired up enough. And, and so, it, so I sort of, sort of started off slowly. And so, so doing things to keep yourself activated. And it's funny because I feel a little self-conscious because, again, everybody's standing around. And I'm, I'm dropping down doing, doing 20 push-ups. And doing squats and jumping up and down, but there's, there's an old saying here in the U.S. that I heard: people people get out of the way of crazy people. And so, so maybe there's a little intimidation factor there. I don't know, but but the main thing is to just feel like when I when I hit the water, I am physiologically ready to go. Because if you're not physiologically ready to go, the mental stuff just doesn't matter. But the physiological stuff begins with the mental stuff of being aware of where you need to be with your intensity, and then taking these active steps. So begin with, 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 your, with your swim training, both pool and open water, and see what works for you. See what enables you to go fast. One little caveat to that, and this is something that I learned from you, is that you can't force fast swimming. Like you can't try to swim fast. You need to let your body just flow with the water. And one thing I've been, I've been really working on is developing my relationship with the water, which I got from you, and, and not fighting against it. And again, Lionel is a great example of somebody who fights the water constantly. And of course, he struggles. And so there's a balance between staying relaxed in terms of your stroke and your cadence while having enough, you know, heart rate, adrenaline, blood flow for your body to function at, at, at a pretty high level of, of intensity when you're, when you're swimming. Mm, and that's the, that's the thing that takes a while to, to figure out, you know, if you've got on a scale of one to 10, you don't want to be that one. You don't want to be a, a 10 where it's just extreme uh, tension through the body it's like a depending on the race you're doing but it's like a, a seven it's like that that seven where you've got it where you operate best that where you've got that little bit of relaxation where you move freely and yep. but yeah and enough enough intensity to be able to get out there and and go fast and i think the the sprinters the, the 50 100 meters from they are the the very best at at finding that because they'll have stroke rates of 110 120 strokes a minute in a in a 50 freestyle super fast but they've still got to have that feel and that hold of the water even though they've got this rapid turnover so it's it's amazing to to watch and for them to be able to sort of find that balance between a huge amount of physical exertion a lot of like got to be very strong to be able to to do it but to have that finesse and that that grace still so i mean i 
I can't find that in the 50 or 100. I'm a, I'm a 200 meter plus event swimmer. That's why I, I admire those guys who can do it. Before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode, this episode is proudly brought to you by Form Smart Swim Goggles. They've been a long-time sponsor of the podcast, and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles. And we know swimming is a highly technical sport, but without the guidance of a coach on deck, identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge. They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, Head Coach, and this addresses that problem head-on. It gives swimmers improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis. Head Coach provides real-time visual coaching via the Form Smart Swim Goggles augmented reality display. During and after a swim, Head Coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics, Form Score and Head Coach Skills. Form Score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from zero to 100, defined by your pace and your stroke length. Head Coach Skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency. Head roll, head pitch, set pacing, interval pacing, and breathing time to neutral. And after completing a session, you can check back in on the form app to track your progress. And Head Coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data-driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim Goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code EFFORTLESS on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim Goggles. This podcast is also brought to you by Skillist, the ultimate digital coaching platform that's making waves in the swimming world. Imagine having the opportunity to train with Olympic and world champions like Kyle Chalmers, Ryan Murphy, and Brent Hayden. Well, with Skillist, that dream is now a reality. Swimmers, you now have the chance to work with the absolute best in the sport, gaining insights and guidance from these elite athletes like never before. And Skillist isn't just your run-of-the-mill coaching platform, it's a game changer. Here is what sets it apart. You can discuss training programs, receive detailed stroke analysis, and even develop race strategies with these incredible athletes and coaches. It's like having a personal coaching session with an Olympic champion right in your pocket. And excitingly, coaches from around the world can also tap into the power of Skillist. Coaches can use Skillist's amazing tools to train their students, analyze videos, and incredibly connect with swimmers from across the world as well. So whether you are a swimmer or a coach, go to the App Store, download the Skillist app today. That's S-K-I-L-L-E-S-T. Download the Skillist app today and get started. And only for our Effortless Swimming Podcast listeners, we're giving away our Art of Triathlon course free, as well as a technique analysis online through the Skillist app from me for free as well. Go to effortlessswimming.com forward slash Skillist offer or click the link in this podcast description and you will get the Art of Triathlon Swimming course for free, as well as a technique analysis from me through the Skillist app. And now back to the podcast. So the, the second key thing that I got there was, was focus. And so in the water, what do you focus on? Because you, yes, you have to cite, but more than anything, it's just like what's going through your mind in terms of, are you focusing on technique? Are you focusing on people around you? Are you focusing on sighting? Are you focusing on, on you know, how much longer you have to go? And so I find there's a balance. I, I try not to focus on technique. And I, you know, I will admit to everybody here, I'm not a great swimmer. Growing up, I was in the non-drowning category and I suffered from what Lionel called, called adult onset swimming. And so, you know, someone like you, I, I've seen you swim on your, on your videos and there's something about 
people who grew up swimming, that they have this relationship with the water, this way they move through the water that I will never have. Or maybe you can teach me, I don't know, but I haven't yet. But, but the, the important thing is I find in training, it's important to focus on technique because you just need to do a lot of repetition and, and ingrain the, 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 the good uh, motor skills associated with swimming. But in the race, I find it's, it's much better to have some sort of, sort of motivational sort of cues. And, and, and this will tie into the third area that, that I'll get into in a minute. But really being able to focus effectively on something that will help you swim better. Because I, I know I know a number of triathletes and swimmers who they're all about technique in, in races. That they're just focusing on technique, and that ensures that they do what's proper. Because I learned this from you: eighty percent of fast swimming is technical. It's, it's not like strength. It's not like trying. And so, so being able to have a clear focus on what will help you perform well, and it could be something technical. It could be something physiological, like focusing on your breathing. But it could be something mental which again, I'll get to with number three in, in my topics for today. Yeah, it's, and it's going to be different for everyone, right? And it might even change depending on the, on the event. And I think it's hard to completely switch off from thinking about your, your technique, but we want to try and just drill those habits in training. That's where, it, that's where they become automated. And then in the racing, I find for, for most people, it's like just focus on, on your intensity, on your effort and good race skills, making sure you're siding properly, making sure you're, maybe finding feet, whatever it might be for you. So that's why yeah, we don't want to overthink in with the stroke. And people generally move a little bit more robotically and mechanically if they're overly thinking about right. the stroke. And I have a number of swimmers who might come to a clinic, I might work with online. And you know, we do most of our work is on the, the technical side of things. And the ones that will be overly focused on their, their technique Usually their stroke rate is too low, maybe by 10, 15% in the race. And so their times are sometimes a bit slower as well until they then just kind of get used to being able to switch off from it. So it's a common thing that I see when people are really focusing on their technique. It's, it can impact their racing negatively if they continue to do that when they're racing. Right. And I still, I still think I struggle with that. And, and it's interesting you brought up cadence because I'm a huge fan of swim, form swim goggles. And, and so I use them all the time in the pool. And I've been using them more and more in open water. And, and I've been wearing them in races. And it, it assesses time. I don't, have, I don't have it hooked up to my watch, so I don't do distance, but it, it messages stroke rate. And that's something I struggle with. So I'm, I'm able to get that clear data during training, during a race that I need to up my, my strokes per minute. And that gives me a good focus because I have a tendency to, I don't, have to I, don't, I don't really know how hard to push myself. And that's my next, that's my, this winter's challenge for me in my trainees to figure out how hard can I push myself and still be able to get out of the water and bike and run? And because, you know, yeah. I, I, I've been a runner a long time and that's by far my strength. But and so I know just through experience that I can go really I can go a certain pace for, for quite a while. And of course, it's the last event. So I just need to make it to the finish line. But I, I'm not sure I've ever heard, Brenton, of anybody blowing up in the swim. I mean, going out too hard and then not, you know, not be, you know, getting into T1 and just not being able to go or, or being blown up enough to not be able to bike and run. But um, I still, part of my focus now is, is really trying to push my limits and see how fast I can go and how quickly. And, and this actually played out really well in, in Spain because in the Olympic distance, I'm typically like a, a 140 guy. And I, I've been stuck there for a long time, for hundred yards, sorry, 140 for hundred yards. And there I did 133. And, and I attributed a lot to the, these three areas. Again, we'll get to the third one in a second that, that I really focused on in preparing for it. 
And, and mm. I think it was higher cadence for sure. And then for the super sprint, which I was third in, I came out of the water, I think like 12th out of 50 or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but that was a big improvement for me because usually I'm like in the middle of the pack. So I'm playing serious catch up, but this time, and then again, it was about keeping the intensity up, really focusing on what would enable me to, to maintain speed over that 400 meters. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a great result, isn't it? I mean, that's, what are you, what are you talking now? Talking like 5% quicker, roughly? Which is a which is a great result, and I I see that when I think of development and swimming, you've got people who are who are brand new, just finding their way, getting comfortable, being able to relax. Then when people get a little bit more established, they can make it to the end, and they're just worried about conserving energy and getting out out fresh. And then once you get to that third level of of swimming or whatever sport it is, that's where you can start to play around with your your pacing. You can start to test how hard can I push this thing. And that's when it really gets gets fun, and you you start to get a good innate sense of the effort level and and what you can sustain. And it sounds like that's kind of where you're at with your, your swimming at the moment is starting to figure that out. Yeah, just starting to. And you told me when I first met you a year or two ago that that you can work on technique, but it takes actually a long time to sort of pull it all together. And and I, I hope I've been really focusing on it since I discovered you on on youtube on proper technique i truly never understood proper swim technique until i started watching your videos and and since then i've just been super focused on it and now i mean i feel really comfortable in the water and you know i don't know what i look like from the outside but i'm still working on getting some videos to uh see myself but but i feel comfortable and i feel sort of natural i feel like i've got a decent stroke going and i think that comfort's really important and and Mm -hmm. it's you know it's taken a lot of miles to get that good feeling and now, hopefully, this next stage before my first race is next March, I'll be able to get more miles and start to experiment, as, as you indicate, with with how fast can I go. Mm. And uh, number three. To yeah. So that that's that, that's what I call mindset. Now, I need to come up with a better, better word than that, because when most people think of mindset, they think of Carol Dweck's growth versus fixed mindset. Not what I'm talking about. When I talk about mindset, I'm talking about what's going through your mind just before and during the race. Because bottom line, that our bodies, we're evolutionarily not wired to want to feel uncomfortable. Because in the Serengeti, 250,000 years ago, when we first officially became Homo sapiens, and long before that, when we were just animals, if, if we were uncomfortable, if we were in pain, what was likely to follow was death. So our survival instinct is incredibly powerful. But thankfully, we have this thing up here called the cerebral cortex, and this thing up front called the prefrontal cortex that separates us from animals, that enables us to make choices. So even though you might be hurting, you have the capacity to say, no, I'm going to push through this. And so, so a key part of this is having a mindset plan in the race. So this is about what you're going to think about it. And this is a little different than focusing, but it's similar, but it's more like mental focus. And, and what it involves is what kind of things do you want to say to yourself that will keep, either keep you going or pushing harder? Because I remember um, when I first got back into triathlon in 2019 after 11-year well, break, and before that, I've been doing Ironmans in 70.3s, but I had no clue at all about swimming. That, that what I noticed was that I felt like I could swim okay, but I wasn't able to push, that, push those limits. And so I remember the first couple of races I did coming back, and I hadn't been swimming very long. I didn't swim at all in 11 years, literally. And, and I couldn't, like, I just wasn't enjoying myself. So I was just going along going like, man, this is no fun. I can't wait to like, get out of here. Why do I do this? Well, that was incredibly self-defeating. And I know a lot of triathletes who think that sort of thing, especially if they're not swimmers. 
And so over time, and especially the last year or so, when I've really been improving and also starting to challenge at the highest level of my age group, that what can I do? Well, first of all, my whole mindset has changed about swimming because since discovering you and form swim goggles, and that's not a plug for either of you. I just love you and those the goggles both. I actually, I love to swim now. Like I, 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 when I go to the pool, like I did this morning at 5.30 a.m. in the heavy rain and the cold, I enjoy it. And so, so, and that's translated into my races where it's no longer drudgery to be there waiting to get on the bike and on the run. And so, and so what I think about has changed dramatically. But now where I'm moving toward is having what's what I call an aggressive mindset. So, and that's where I don't naturally just go fast. I need to, I need to like really push myself. And so I need to be constantly going, let's go push, push, push. So for the, for the super sprint, again, 400 meters, it's, it's all just like, let's go, let's charge, let's attack, let's go at it. Because my mind has to tell my body to keep going when I'm sucking wind out there. And, and even though even though swim is only like four or five minutes, it's really unpleasant. And in the Olympic distance, which again, nine tenths of a mile to a mile, it's, it's a different mindset. It's for me, I've got this mantra of like long and strong. And maybe I need to change that to, to fast and strong in terms of cadence. But it's, it's the idea is that I'm constantly using my, my mind, my evolved brain, if you will, to tell my primitive brain that we're not going to die and I need to keep going and that I'm choosing to do this. Because if, you, mm-hmm. if your primitive brain hears that, oh, we're not going to die and, 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 and we're actually doing this for, on purpose, then it's going to go, oh, I don't need to hit, I don't need to trigger the survival instinct. And so, and then you can push the limits because there's been a ton of research has shown anytime you think there's nothing left, there is a lot left fuel and the fuel in the tank. And we might've talked about this in a, in a past show, but, but really being very deliberate about what do you want to focus on? What do you want to think about during the swim? Mm. That, that reminds me of when, if you're underwater, let's say you're surfing, you get held down and you're still held, you're getting held down and you're starting to run out of air. When you start to get that sort of gulp, that, uh, that reaction, you've got something like you're only halfway there. You've still got 50% um, of the oxygen you need to, to survive. And it's probably the same thing when it comes to pushing yourself and, and, yeah, and, and, and trying to get the most out of yourself that you can. It's like you're only just getting started. We often give up too early. We think, oh, no, this is, this is hard. I can't possibly go any further. But no doubt that you can. And that sort of mindset and, and knowing, first of all, you've got the choice and you're in control of that is, yeah. is a big step. Yeah. So some of the clients I work with, when I t- tell the story about there's always fuel in the tank, and there's a ton of research on this, by the mm-hmm. way, they go, oh my gosh, because typically in the past, if you don't know that there's fuel in the tank, you figure you're just blown, you're done. And of course, the, na- the natural reaction mm-hmm. is to either slow down or stop. But if you're hurting and you're three quarters of the race and, and you go, oh, J- Jim said there's fuel in the tank. Oh yeah, so I'm going to tap into that now. And the way you tap into that that physical fuel is with your mind, because if you don't have if you don't let your mind tap into it, then your body's just going to go. You know, we might have fuel there, but we're going to keep it just in case because we don't know how long this is going to be. Mm. And so, so really being very deliberate about what you're going to say to yourself, and you can't just decide as you jump into the water in a race. You've got to pr- practice it in the pool, in open water. And find out what works and then use that. If you're doing intervals, you're constantly going, push it. You know, the back, the back 50 of, of the back 25 of 50s, it's like, push it, push it, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the difference because you're, you're basically commanding your body to keep going when it really doesn't want to. Mm. And I had a swimmer ask that of a race coming up in two weeks time, 
uh, had a swimmer that I'm coaching ask, all right, what's, what should I focus on in the lead up to the, to this event? I said, every time you're in training and you're doing anything that's roughly race pace, I want you to just picture yourself there. What's it feel like? What are the surroundings? Just forget you're in the pool right now. Just picture you're in the open water and you are yeah, maybe bringing home that last 200, whatever it might be. But I find that that can help you get much more comfortable. And I know we're kind of moving on to a, almost a different subject in a way. It's like visualization, but it's, it's very much about just being in that situation and, and practicing it. And that's, that's how you're going to know what works for you, whether it's long and strong or whether it's just push, push, push. That's when you'll start to get a, a handle on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mental imagery slash visualization, the most powerful mental tool there is. And bef- in, the, in, the, in the weeks leading up to races, if I, even if I don't know the venue, I'll just, I'll just look on, on Google Maps and try to imagine it. And then once mm-hmm. I get to the race, like the world championships or nationals, I'll get there three or four days before to, to, to adjust. And I'm doing like th- three or four times a day of seeing myself in the race. Key parts mm-hmm. of it. Basically, what you're doing is you're programming your mind to how you want to think, how you want to feel. So when you get to the race, you just run the program. You don't need to make any choices. Should I push harder? No, I'm going to push harder because that's programmed in my brain through the imagery. Mm. And if you want to dig a bit deeper on that topic, we've recorded a number of episodes. So we'll link to that in the, in the show notes as well. The, the last thing I, I want to touch on here is having a reality check. So we, when we're talking about topics beforehand, one of the ones that I thought would be good is just having a, a reality check on where you're currently at with your, with your swimming. Because I mentioned this on a podcast a little while ago, but basically I was using the EO Swim Better devices, the, almost the power meters for your hand. And, I, and my propulsive forces were very low. It was like 20 to 30%, very low. The, the best that I've seen is 75% from Roland Schumann, who's an Olympic level freestyler. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't swim fast if your propulsive forces are in the 20 to 30, but it means that you are either too much sideways forces or downwards forces. So I was very much downwards. So I first read that and went, oh, yeah, the devices aren't working. It's not me. Like I'm a, I'm a good swimmer. It's, there's no way I'm in the 20s to 30s. And then I you know, use the devices with some other people, test it. They're in the 40s, 50s and, and so on. So I'm like, all right, yeah. maybe they're not, Brett, maybe they're not broken. Imagine where I'd be. If, single digits, maybe, I don't know. But I've got to get me one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and, and there's, there's more to it than just the de- direction when it comes to speed however if if you are 20 percent propulsive and 60 percent downwards well there's a big opportunity there to just be more effective with what's happening so what i've when i finally came to terms with what the numbers are actually telling me i thought all right well that pretty clearly means i'm just putting too much force in a downwards direction through my catch so what i what i've been working on is changing that just relaxing more as i'm reaching forwards and really trying to bring my shoulder up near the side of the face, shoulder near my, near my cheek, and then just relaxing through there and then working on the, the catch in a better direction. And it's taken a while to, to get there, but it has improved. It's improved it a lot. And my speeds come up with it. So that kind of reality check, first of all, it's like, no, can't be it. But then after, it took me a few weeks really to come to terms with it, but yeah, when you and then then you can I could actually start to make some changes to it, and the same thing goes with maybe some race results. If you look at it and go, yeah, I was fit, I was healthy, I thought I did everything well, and my my bike was incredibly slow. It's like as much as it can can hurt to just sit down and take responsibility for where you're currently at, it's the thing that's going to help you move forwards. 
Yeah, it's it's so important in triathlon to be grounded in reality because you can't fake triathlon. There's some other sports where <laughs> where you can sort of fake it for a little while if you're really good at it technically, but you can only go as fast in the in in the water, on the bike, in the run as you're capable of running, both physiologically, genetically to a degree for sure, and then in terms of your fitness. And so so it's it's really important and nobody likes to admit that they're not very good in in some area of triathlon. But I can assure you, I have to face the ugly reality. Despite my really good results, you know there are there are always there are a couple. There's one guy in the U.S. and like I mentioned, this French guy who who swept both races in Pontevedra by a lot. Um, who they're they're just they're just genetic freaks, and and I'm probably never going to beat them, but I might outlive them. That's my hope, or I'll stay <laughs> healthy. Good strategy. Yeah, but but you know my but ultimately all we can do is is accept where we are. And for me, my goal is always to just get better, close the gap. And, and, the, and over the last couple of years, as I've, as I've gotten back into triathlon the last, I guess, four years now, the gaps are closing. But it's because I look at my weaknesses. Because people say, mm. well, you should be a duathlete. Just give up swimming. Because duathlon is it's like run, bike, run. So you, it's like, wait, it's, just, it's, I think, a pretty even balance. Whereas with, with triathlon, biking is way more important and in terms of the amount of time you do it. But for me, the challenge is overcoming my weaknesses. And it's like, yeah. I've always been one of the fastest guys in my age group on the run. But for me, the challenge is, can I close the gap between where I am from the top guys in the swim and the bike? And I've actually seen that. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a blow to one's ego to have to say like, boy, you know, like, like my power numbers on the bike, they're not pretty. I'm not a power guy. But I improved my power by like 30, 40 watts over the last, from, from last year to this year. And so then it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm starting to get in the game. And it mm -hmm. showed where I was fifth on the bike in the super sprint. Whereas in the, in, in past races, I'd be like, you know, uh, you know, 10th, 15th, and then I'm playing even more catch up. So, so I'm a big believer in testing, which in fact, next week, my coach is having me do some really unpleasant testing in the pool and in the, in the, on the bike trainer and then on the run. And so, you know, basically what it does, it provides a baseline. And what's nice about that is having a clear sense of reality where I am. And I think there's a couple areas where it's not going to be pretty, but then hopefully I focus on those weaknesses. I get, I test again in let's say January and we see improvement and, and, you know, improvement is one of the, one of the main motivators for me. I just want to get better or, you know, maybe at my age, it's not getting faster. It's getting less slow. Um, so than everybody else, but the idea, but it's basically like improving. And so that's an incredibly satisfying thing to see. I, I, I got assessed. I faced reality. I'm not a good swimmer. And then, and I need to change that mentality too, because maybe I'm actually not a bad swimmer anymore. Maybe I'm an okay one. That's a whole mental thing as well. But, but then I put in the work, I get retested and I'm faster and I'm stronger. And it's like, you know, that's like validation for all that hard work you put in. And it doesn't always work that yeah. way, unfortunately. No, it doesn't always work that way. But I mean, that's, it's where the, the fun is it's being able to see opportunities where you can get better and trying to figure out what you need to do. We're in Thailand recently for a, a swim camp there and me and one of the other coaches, Mitch, were doing a training session. And one of the other coaches, Sam, he, he got on the stopwatches and was running us through this main set, which was like a sprint set. It was, what was it? 25, I'm trying to remember. Was, I think it was 50 dive max followed by maybe 125 easy and then a 25 dive max followed by hundred easy. And that was maybe five or six times through. And Sam was like giving us feedback. And it's rare that I'd have someone on the, on the stopwatches giving actual times, 
uh, or actually giving feedback. And what I realized there is that it's just so helpful to have someone with experience who knows what they're talking about, giving, giving feedback to show um, you know, where you're at. Because basically what Sam was saying is like, you need to get your rating up, your stroke rates was like eight, low 80s and I need to get it up to around 100. So I, I managed to get it up to, I think like 100, 105 for these sprints. And my times came down by about a second in the 50s and maybe half a second in the 25s, which is, which is a fair bit for me. And I was able to just make some changes, like trying to go over the water a bit quicker. So just faster over the top, not that much quicker underneath. So I was able to do that. And then I was able to work the turns. So just having someone with experience, actually giving that feedback made a huge difference. And it's just something that doesn't often happen for me because I'm usually the one coaching but it made a big, big difference. And that was the reality check I needed there to go, all right, there's still a lot I can improve on. I just need to get the feedback. Right, right. And I'm going to invite you to, to California if you, if you would for, for a few weeks so you can coach me upfront and personal. But, but anyway, so yes, I mean, having that data, having that perspective, I mean, I, I have a coach, he's not near me, unfortunately, but he has a PhD in exercise physiology. His name's Dr. Greg Rhodes. And he's phenomenal in terms of, he looks at my data, and he says, this is what we need to do. And, you know, just doing, you know, you know, these days you can go online and get all kinds of swim workouts, but it's not very helpful if you have no idea what the heck you're doing and putting it all together into a program. And that's where you come in. And, and that's, that's why having a coach, I find it is so valuable um, being able to provide the insights and be able to analyze the data and know what it means and then what to do with it. But of course, of course, it starts with being able to admit, I need to work on these areas. Because it's interesting, a lot of people, there was a book a while ago titled something like, like focus on your strengths or, or live for your strengths or something. And the idea was that you should focus on your strengths because that's, those, that's what makes you strengths. Totally disagree. Because the fact is, is that it, it, let's say if this, is, this is as fast as you can possibly go in the pool. And, and if it's your strength, then you're already here. So you can put a lot of time into it and you get this much better. But if you focus on your weaknesses, you've got a lot of room for improvement, friend. And so you put in a lot of time to that and you get up to here. But you just you just improve this much versus that much. And so so certainly for me, my running, you know, these days, it's, I just want to maintain my running speed as much as I can. But certainly in the pool and then and, and, and as well in the bike, that's where I'm going to make my gains because I've got so much room to play with. And that's frustrating. But it's also cool to see improvements in the different areas that, that I need to improve. on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Speaking of uh, getting help, anyone who is looking to get to work with someone like yourself on the mental aspect of their racing has the best way to get in contact with you. Where can they find sure. you? Well, they, they this thing these days called the internet. I think you've probably heard of it and, and websites. And, and so I have a website. It's drjimtaylor.com, drjimtaylor.com. And I'm also on um, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. What's the other one? And Twitter. So you can go there and I've got, I've got all kinds, like 95% of everything I've ever written is up there for free. And I've, in my blog, I've got a triathlon category. And then if people do want to reach out to me, I have a menu item that says something like one-on-one -on -one coaching. But more than anything for me, it's, I just love helping people. And it's been really gratifying being, after being on a couple of your episodes, I'm getting, you know, I get emails from people all over the world. And in some cases, just asking a question or thanking me. But in, in some cases where I spend focused time on, on them, because especially with like panicking. And we did a show, I don't know, maybe last year on panicking in the water. And, and that's, we're seeing that more and more. And even, even with some really high level athletes who have never had an issue, then all of a sudden they do a race and they're just like freaking out. So anyway, I guess my main mission in all my work is to spread the word that the mind matters and that the mind can be trained 
just like the buy. It's not mm. a mystery. It's not weird. And it's an essential part. It's the last piece of the puzzle. But it shouldn't be the last piece of the bubble puzzle. It should be just along along with technique and tactics and, and conditioning. It should just be a piece of the puzzle that you focus on in order to be the best swimmer triathlete you can be. Mm. And I, I had a Australian swimmer on recently, a young guy called Flynn Southern, and he was he was talking about it world world champs trials. So to make the Australian team to compete at world champs, he his first day he had the two hundred freestyle. Didn't race well. He finished, what was he? Maybe like just in the top eight, something like that, or maybe fifth, but he was expected to do, do pretty well. Didn't have a great swim. And he's like, oh, I want this meet to be over. This is, you know, I've got the 100 to go, but I just, I know I'm not racing well. So I, let's just get over and done with. And he sat down with his coach and his coach said, look, you've got nothing to lose. I want you to go out there in this 100 free, swim like you've got nothing to, to lose. And he ended up doing his fastest time. First time he swam under 48 seconds. Ended up coming second to Carl Chalmers, made the team, and then went on to win a gold medal in the four hundred one at, at World Champs. And especially at that level, it is very much about the mind. It is like those guys. It's it's often the mind that can determine whether or not they're going to to do well. So it's a it's an important piece of the the puzzle, and it's one that can be easy to easy to forget if we're not not conscious of it not aware of it so that's why i really like doing these episodes every couple of months just to bring that to our attention and to, to cover some new things that, that you're coming up with or even just revisit things that you've spoken about for a long time because it's like with swimming technique that all that information that knowledge is there but not everyone knows it not everyone's doing that on a daily basis so it's good just to get that that reminder so guess what i'm getting at is thank you for being on the podcast i really appreciate you coming on so regularly and uh, sharing all of your expertise. Always fun, Brenton. I learned so much from you and I'm happy to give back to helping you be as successful as you can be as well. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.